Matriarchy is an intersectional collective that brings POC African women together for the empowerment and development of African cities and spatial education. Hello to everyone who's listening and welcome to the eighth episode of the Matriarchy Audio Channel. And just to let you know that some of our articles or episodes are particularly only in written form. So you would have noticed on the website that two articles have passed before this one, one of them being a roundtable discussion, which happened in 2017 um, sometime in April. And so we would urge you to go and read that one. It's accompanied by a really incredible visual narrative by illustrator Nombilo CBC. So go and check that out. But today's episode is titled validation and the vernacular, which was originally published in written form on the 30th of April, 2017 and written by Kensani de Klerk. Please keep in mind that the following episode is accompanied by a visual series, which was captured by photographer Litlokhonolo Ndlovu. And so here we go. It's been an extremely thoughtful few weeks preceding this week's article, which I've decided to title Validation and the Vernacular. The post is also a film photo series captured by an incredible creative and dear friend, Litlokhonolo Ndlovu. The theme at hand speaks about the reality of validation within hegemonic beauty ideal structures and furthermore tying into the forced need for validation of African and marginalized identities through the constant narrative lens of white hegemonic record of history and architecture. Wow. What a mouthful, right? Okay, so having recently read Kopano Matlwa's Coconut, analyzed and reflected on what is seen to be credible as sources of South African history by reading critiques of the South African Architectural Record Journal, along with my daily reference reading being Patricia Hill Collins, of course, um, her Black Feminist Thought, plenty thoughts orbiting around validation in contrast to freedom as well as authorship and ownership that people of color should have, have contributed to the thought process of writing the original article and obviously uh, narrating this specific audio episode. In addition, as a person who responds to a visual world and an avid Instagrammer, I must admit, I have for a long time been following accounts that journal African narratives, many different ones, non-prescriptive. And so... I found it most fitting to speak to the subject at hand for today through a series of images creatively co-directed with and captured by Tlohi Ndlovu in a series of film shots. I've cut all my hair off. I won't delve into every last reason as to why I did, but I will include the necessary reasoning in relation to conveying today's theme and the reality of what I imagine many other women of colour have gone through or are going through or will perhaps go through. For the longest time, even though I had never consciously admitted it to myself, 
My hair defined my confidence in asserting my beauty in space. From the early days of relaxed hair to breaking away to a more comfortable state of natural hair, the idea of length kept me feminine enough, kept me beautiful enough. Long red braids, longer black braids, bantu knots at night in preparation for a day of aesthetically cool black girl curls. The list goes on. Don't get me wrong. I do not dispute these practices and looks. They shaped the person I am today and were pinnacle points of embracing who I was at the time of when I went through these experiences. However, wow. I have never felt as liberated as I do today with no hair. None to touch, none to ridicule, none to fetishize over. And trust me, I have been in too many spaces where white men, white women, white people find the urge to touch my hair, not knowing that the act in itself is a form of invasion. One thinks of Solange Knowles' lyrics, very pop culture, I must admit, from the song, Don't Touch My Hair, Don't Touch My Soul, Don't Touch My Pride, Don't Test My Mouth. A good friend and gloriously great vlogger, Teho Fatomako, speaks about an experience very similar and I would urge you to watch her video on YouTube titled Unapologetically Black. It's in the reference list and if you go to this episode on www.maytree-arki.com you will come to see it in the bibliography. The point is, this narrative exists in many spaces. Black women across the globe can relate to one another spiritually but also sadly through the harsh reality of the enormous amount of systematic oppression we have received throughout history. And we all know still today, as a spatial thinker, I automatically think of what I read, what I learn, and how that is projected into how I think about occupying and creating space. The typical point of departure in design lies in research, precedence and history, right? From the previous articles, you will be able to tell how we find knowledge production founded in universal Western epistemology rather problematic. I look back to many project briefs I once received based on finding and investigating design that speaks about the vernacular. Sources of credibility or what we have for a long time considered to be credible have been the main go-to point when finding information about the conception and development of South African vernacular architecture. My mother tongue is Shitsonga, and still to this day, I find a huge struggle in finding how my people innovatively built houses and creatively designed on both macro and micro levels. Obviously, an abundant amount of dense knowledge lies in means outside of the academic discourse rooted in westernization. And so, we look to books that have been dominantly produced through that western lens, where our people and their spaces have been written about through the lens of westernization and colonialism, and furthermore encouraged and given highest priority in social institutions. We can acknowledge that there has been a slow change, and I can see this through my current course reading lists, including African writers, but that is also due to the agency of professors as individuals. It is sadly not an embossed principle that I personally feel should be included in African institutions of knowledge. Elisa Dainese, an architect and historian currently teaching as an assistant professor for architecture at Dalhousie University, 
writes in her Histories of Exchange, Indigenous South Africa in the South African Architectural Record and the Architectural Review of 2015, despite an open-minded attitude that ignited interest in South African traditions amongst British and South African architects, the articles published in the Architectural Review and the South African Architectural Record show an asymmetry in the discourse on Indigenous architecture. The articles reveal a deep imbalance within the magazine's cultural milieu that was bolstered in the architectural exchange between European and African cultures. Both British and South African architects and historians promoted a Eurocentric perception of Indigenous South Africa. In nurturing an interest in tribal architecture, the Architectural Review and the South African Architectural Record participated in the unequal power dynamics of colonialism and apartheid. As a result, the native voice was almost completely silenced in the magazines. And so, the history of African ideals, both in bodies and space, have been tainted by the mythicization and fetishism by virtue of being recorded through the Western lens. I personally don't expect white people to stop writing about various topics, but marginalized identity groups and their ways of identification and culture cannot be recorded through a voice that does not occupy that space. These bodies and spaces are not subjects, specimen culture, I sometimes call it. Here lies the importance of self-definition, which Patricia Hill Collins writes about in Black Feminist Thought. She says, self-definition speaks to the power dynamics involved in rejecting externally defined, controlling images of black womanhood. What would a world where knowledge focused on particular contexts were produced in various media by those at the center of experiencing those contexts? A world that prioritizes those with a direct experience and way of knowing according to that particular site, with an ease of access to undiscovered histories laying dormant in storytelling and cultural practices, which are mostly seen currently as folk tales and ethnic other forms of knowledge what would a world look like where the other is eliminated and locality begins to dominate allowing multiple sites to produce rich information for the world to share i suppose considerations such as resources and sites of institution need to be considered they should be but the current hegemonic setup of the global north slash the west acting in a binary relationship with the other i.e the rest of the world the marginalized identity groups, maintains this production of oppression, even in the contemporary world we occupy today. As a generally privileged individual, I experience this through black beauty ideals projected on Instagram and consumer marketing, marketing where beautiful black models are and remain copies of white women in their physique with exceptionally dark and coconut oil dripping skin or alternatively, light-skinned mixed black women with bouncy, beautiful, bronze, curly afros. These women should continue to flourish, do not get me wrong, flourish. Of course they should. But by only projecting these images in pop culture, those who do not conform to this aesthetic fall outside of the ideal. It may not be a conscious reaction, but after having gone through cutting my hair, I've come to invite subconscious reactions to converse on this platform. Collins extends on this further in a subchapter of Black Feminist Thoughts titled 
mummies, matriarchs and other controlling images. I do encourage you to give it a read. We can acknowledge that naturally, critical mass occurs in response to trends on a planetary urbanism scale, which can be seen in fashion trends, Instagram lifestyle, minimalist bloggers and black girl magic, if you like. It's all a lot and should never be deemed to be prescription. But we do need to admit that these spaces maintain forms of control. Where there is control, freedom is tested or simply non-existent. And women of color tend to be at the core of that dilemma every single time. It's all a mess, I know. But we do need to begin to dismantle these troubles. At the moment, I would say that a step forward lies in making sources of knowledge inclusive and truly addressing authorship in order to remove the production of assumed knowledge and more importantly, the oppression of bodies, cultures, sites and spaces having to find validation in universal theory. I invite you to see and to look into the visual narrative of this particular episode. Again, titled on validation and the vernacular.